This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. I learned this week of the death of Patrick Hawk, who was one of Aiken Roshi's first Dharma successors. He was also a Catholic priest and represented an important aspect of the development of the first generation of uh, the school uh, of Sambo Kyoden, the, peop- the, the school that grew out of uh, teachings of Yasutani Roshi. important part of how that generation Zen was brought over in a form that could mingle with Western and particularly Catholic tradition uh, and an extension of what was um, being attempted by Thomas Merton uh, really a generation before. Priests like uh, Patrick Hawk, and there are quite a few Catholic priests who manage, like him, to study, often with Yamada Roshi in Japan, were able to put into practice what Merton was trying to do some way in theory but never had a chance to do personally. One of the things that made it possible for priests like Patrick Hawk to actually practice Zen was that they were engaging a form of Zen that uh, had been taken out of the temples and out of explicitly Buddhist religious practice and were created a form uh, that was available to lay people without entering into a monastic life and without um, doing anything that looked like converting to Buddhism, which would have made it uh, completely unacceptable uh, to the Catholic hierarchy for uh, these priests to participate if it had looked anything like that. What was offered instead was a Sashin-based 
koan study-based style of practice that for that generation promised to open up contemplative experience, mystical experience, uh, in a way that was missing from a Catholic practice that was devotional rather than contemplative. And for Merton and for Hawk and for a lot of these folks, there was a sense that by doing this kind of practice with Mu, they would be able to themselves have the kinds of experiences they know that they were only had read about in St. John of the Cross and the Cloud of Unknowing and in Meister Eckhart, right? That now this would be available experientially. And the dilemma is then how to frame or integrate something of those experiences (coughs) into their Catholicism. And there are a lot of conceptual or theological difficulties with that that we're obviously not going to go into here, but part of what's relevant is that the Catholic picture of mystical experience is something that (coughs) arrives by the grace of God, the gift of God. It's not something that you earn by your efforts. And yet the kind of uh, seshin that Yasutani Roshi, you know, did, looked like it was all about effort, right? Pushing to break through. And there's also the question about what, what is it that you're encountering when you have one of these experiences? What's the relationship of the experience of oneness or emptiness to an experience of God? Is it personal or impersonal? There's a lot that's been written in Buddhist-Catholic dialogue about how to come to terms with that. It's interesting, particularly to me, to watch how these two traditions intersected in one, what each took from the other. Though, by and large, uh, the influence was mostly in one direction. Uh, you don't have a lot of sense that um, too much of Buddhist practice or thought was modified as a result of encountering Catholicism. But uh, for a lot of Catholic uh, priests and contemplatives, the addition of something like uh, Zazen practice uh, considerably broadened their experience of prayer. 
It's interesting that both the Dalai Lama and the Pope, however, were very um, clear that they did not want to see this as somehow both practices leading to a single common experience. Uh, And there's a lot to be questioned about what it is that we say is happening whether any experience can be somehow cut free from its cultural, religious, and historical context and and somehow be uh, ahistorical, transcultural. And part of what happened uh, when people started writing about the intersection of these things is you get a lot of language about sort of capital E emptiness and capital B being and you know and whether these things are connected to capital G God for myself I'm very suspicious all the time about capitalized <coughs> abstractions and trying to equate them or that they are somehow more foundational than uh, small g dog, you know, or small d dirt. You know, know, as if what we're doing in any kind of practice is penetrating the veil of appearances to some reality beyond, right? One of the other ways I, you know, uh, for me... Uh, I spent a lot of time studying Merton back in my early days of Zen. And one of the ways that I I had wished that some of his thought would influence uh, the Zen I was practiced had to do with that idea of grace. Uh, precisely as something that was um, <coughs> a matter of being open, self-emptying, re- uh, receptive, rather than being a matter of effort and drivenness. I I thought the Sessions, you know, in the early days were all about effort, not about receptivity. Uh, That Zen could use an idea of grace. Uh, I think over the years I incorporated that into the way I think about no gain. Uh, And the way I've tried to talk about Zazen not being a technique or a means to an end. Uh, I think some of my thinking about that uh, comes out of that uh, encounter with Merton. (coughs) The other way this is relevant to me is that it has a lot of parallels between the uh, with the intersection of Zen and psychotherapy. Uh, Again, you have two self-contained systems interacting, mutually influencing each other. In the case of therapy, um, Western therapy has had a much bigger influence on uh, the way Zen is practiced uh, than perhaps vice versa. That in this generation, uh, our Zen practice has gotten much more psychologically minded uh, not just here in ordinary mind, but uh, through throughout many many lineages, 
I think it's just not permissible anymore to have a practice uh, taught that uh, ignores the psychological as somehow um, merely psychological. And there's been a lot of ways in which Buddhism has come over to influence psychotherapy. Um, but there, for better or for worse, it's mostly come over not as a um, way of being or a perspective, but as a series of techniques. It comes over, again, stripped of its religious aspect and is, um, comes in as mindfulness uh, or as stress reduction. Uh, uh, or various aspects of cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, talk about awareness. Again, in order to make acceptable what Buddhism offers to therapy, it sort of had to stop being religious. It's in a strange way, very similar to what it had to do to become acceptable to the Catholics. You know, you couldn't, you had to somehow turn it into a technique and take it out of a religious context and then they would... Uh, let it in. Now, in the various things I've read about Patrick Hawk this week, uh, one quote of his uh, that stood out for me was he said that every religion, every practice, every practice center needs a back door. And I think that uh, what that meant to me is that uh, all our practices, every religion, tends to uh, become self-contained and tautological. Uh, It can explain everything. Uh, Whether you're a Catholic, a Buddhist, or a psychoanalyst, the danger is that whatever happens, you've got an answer for it. Uh, It makes sense within your system. Uh, which is fine, except there's not much way that new evidence, new information can get into such a closed, perfect system. And I think that's the idea of a back door. We need a way to smuggle in something new once in a while. Uh, we need a way to bypass our own certainty, bypass the completeness of our system. And sometimes we only do that when we bump into another complete system and uh, see how other we are to the other. The other way that's uh, so relevant to our individual practice is that each of us as a personality is in danger of being one of these perfect closed systems where that anything that happens gets mapped onto our own particular core beliefs, our own common sense. Uh, For better or for worse, everything that happens just proves what we've always known. Uh Where is change going to come from? What 
kind of back door can you personally leave open to let in something new? <laughs> 